Welcome to Experience Junkies. On this show, I bring together meeting and event professionals, global travelers, jet setters, and more to relive the moments we never want to forget. More importantly, we'll attempt as best we can to transport listeners to transformational points in our lives, sharing our observations and emotions behind these stories. By diving into the indelible impact these experiences have had on us, we decode small takeaways about how to be better humans than we were yesterday. On today's show, I have a childhood friend of mine, Cynthia D. Harris with 828 Consulting. She is a marketing researcher, a qualitative researcher, and just a really fun human. She's one of my closest friends and has traveled all around the world, both um, during her school days uh, as a solo traveler for work, for personal reasons. And she has a great experience that she shares with us here on the show today. So please sit back, enjoy this episode uh, while we talk to Cynthia about the duality of energy and peace uh, while traveling. Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. I am so excited about today's guest. I have known this individual since we were children. We grew up in church together, so um, she's very special to me. But um, I am so happy to uh, have Cynthia Harris from 828 Consulting with me. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deanna. I'm very excited to be here. You're long <laughs> one of my favorite people, so it's exciting to be a part of this. Yeah, so today will just be, you know, like a, a inside look at, you know, one of me and my favorite girlfriends. Yes. <laughs> we actually have been doing weekly mastermind sessions for about a year and a half. So um, if you want a behind the scenes view, that's kind of what that this is today. <laughs> yes. Been so Cynthia, <laughs> tell, uh, tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, and where you work. Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Cynthia Harris, and I am the founder and managing director of 828 Consulting. And we essentially dig into the lives of humans to help inform brand decisions. So we're a qualitative research and strategy firm, and we do everything from focus groups to in-depth interviews. And sometimes we even ask consumers to record their life experiences so that we can dissect what's happening uh, so that we can inform brand decisions that happen for a wide range of brands from tech companies to consumer packaged goods companies and even pharmaceutical companies as well. So your work in marketing and brand insights, you know, you've been in this industry for quite a while, you know, what, 15 years or so. And this is kind of what got you started in your travel journey, would you say? It is. It absolutely is. So I was lucky to work for a phenomenal company, Bath and Body Works, as a young child. I look back on it and I was such a kid back then. <laughs> but <laughs> even in college, you know, I had the fortunate pleasure of traveling the country to kind of find different insights at different Bath and Body Works stores across the nation. And the head of consumer and market insights there at the company, she said to me once, when you travel, you should live how the people live. And I, that is kind of where I got my start in travel. It's how I realized that experiencing local cultures was such a transformative experience. Yes, it had business benefits, but personally, it really expanded my mindset and it got me curious about traveling. Yeah, thank God for um, work-sponsored travel. I mean, it can be a slog, but it definitely is a nice perk when you can see new places and meet new people that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, 
Now, fast forward a few years uh, when you were getting your MBA and uh, let the people know where you went to uh, undergrad and graduate school. I'd gladly let you know. <laughs> I, I am <laughs> what some might call a double buck. So I went to the Ohio State University, both for undergrad, but also for my MBA as well. So that's where I studied. And if you can't tell, I'm a proud Buckeye. Go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I went to another state school in Ohio. So outside of uh, the state schools, yes, I'm an Ohio State fan. But, you know, us other Ohio grads outside of uh, the Ohio State just always have a chuckle at that little pronoun. Um, okay. But okay. What I, the, reason, <laughs> the reason I mentioned your time at the Ohio State University was during your MBA experience, you also studied abroad. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So when I was a graduate student, I knew that I wanted to have a multinational career. I knew that I wanted to work on a global scale. I had the fortune of working on a domestic business at Bath and Body Works before my graduate studies. But I wanted to see what it looked like to kind of manage business and understand people and cultures on a more global scale. So while I was at Ohio State doing my graduate work, I had two study abroad opportunities, as a matter of fact. The first was to India, where I spent a month in India consulting with a company called Tata Motors. It's a motor company, one of the largest in India. But I went with a group of students and we were there for a month. Yes, we consulted with the company, but we also had the great fortune of spending time in the country and you know traveling around India. The second was when I spent six months in Italy. So I decided to do my last semester of my MBA from Milan, Italy. There's a school there called Bocconi University and they are very well known for luxury marketing and for consumer behavior. And so by all means, I tell people I went for academics, but I also went for the red wine, of course, <laughs> because Italy has some of the best wine in the world. So um, yeah, definitely, I would say the academia gave me the opportunity to do what I love even more so while pursuing my studies. So it was an incredible experience. Yeah, really a trifecta of, you know, your studies, but also your professional career and a little dabbling in wine and food along the way. Um, for those of you who don't know Cynthia as well as I do, uh, my friend is a jet setter, but she is a, a, she likes the finer things in life. Let's put it that way, right? Cynthia uh, ha has a wide variety of travel experiences, but when I heard about you studying in India, I just was thinking, wow, I just cannot see Cynthia living it up in India of all places, just the mind, you know, we all have our preconceived notions about different locations. So talk about your experience in India, just from that, that background of, you know, how you typically like to travel and the experiences you seek out. So Deanna's telling all of my business, it is true <laughs> that I like to travel in luxury. That is true. But, you know, what I loved about India was it was the exact opposite paradigm of everything I knew as normal. Um, so in India, it looks to the outside eye like it's chaotic, right? There's no street lines, as an example. There's people everywhere. There's stray dogs everywhere. The complete antithesis of America. But because it is such a paradigm shift and that is their normal, it transformed the way I view people in general because I realized that there is no such thing as normal. And I credit India for that. When people ask me, as they often do, where's the best place you've visited or where's your favorite place to travel? I always say India consistently because it was such a transformative experience for me. So yes, it's true, Deanna. I mean, certainly we weren't at a Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> 
every night <laughs> while in India. But in terms of growth as a human being, I would say that that month I spent there transformed my my inner being and helped me see the world in a very different way. And for that, I will always be grateful to the people of India. It's it's funny you mentioned that I had another guest on the podcast and we kind of talked about how um, the experiences that maybe aren't uh, as traditional for us or aren't what we uh, ex- expect. You know, I kind of mentioned our stay in Mexico at the infamous Airbnb and how it can still have a lifetime impact on you. And the memory can just, you know, I laugh to this day about that Airbnb. And this was, you know, going on six months ago. Um And so it's just interesting that you mentioned that while India may not be, you know, outside looking in, like it's chaotic, it's frenetic, it it may not be what some people consider, you know, the best travel experience from your standpoint, it's really transformed how you look at the world. And that's why we all travel, right? Um, Or I hope most people travel. (laughs) It's very true. And I was just going to say the reality is that growth is chaotic, right? So even though growth may be uncomfortable, you know, growth may challenge us and challenge our own thinking, it never really feels comfortable, right? So there's something about traveling that puts you in an uncomfortable space. So inevitably, when you travel and get outside of your comfort zone, growth occurs. It has always consistently occurred for me. Um, and that's a part of the reason why I like to put myself in uncomfortable situations. And I encourage other people to do the same because you will not come back the same. I love that you mentioned uncomfortable situations. Um, it's a great segue to what I want to ask you about now. Um, you went on a great adventure um, right before COVID. Um, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about that, how you decided to embark on the remote year adventure and kind of your overall uh, reflections on that experience. Absolutely. So the adventure that you're talking about, which was the adventure of my life, is is remote year, which um, anybody can look it up, remoteyear.com. If you want a referral code, hit me up later. <laughs> but <laughs> Let's monetize. Let's monetize. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, you know, I had made the decision that I wanted to take a sabbatical from corporate America after nearly 15 years of being in a corporate space and very high demanding jobs. I decided I wanted to take some time to really consider what did I want to do for the back half of my career? What impact did I really want to make for the back half of my career? So I was one of the people that responded to Instagram advertisement um, that talked about remote year and kind of showed these epic pictures of people on mountains and people swimming in seas and by the way, they were working full time as well. So I looked into the program, spoke to some people that were currently on the program at the time. I also spoke to past participants and they all highly recommended doing the program. Um, And so I decided to sign up for a six month program where I traveled the world for six months with about 25 to 30 other people who are now friends, people that I talk to regularly. Um, And we went from Croatia, from Croatia to Valencia, Spain. We then went to Lisbon, in Portugal, down to Cape Town, South Africa. After South Africa, we went to Santiago, Chile. After Chile, we went to Lima, Peru. And then I topped it off with a trip to Brazil um, for a couple of weeks with a friend from home. But yeah, it was an incredible experience. And again, this was all pre-pandemic. 
like we literally got back in February of 2020 and we are still just reaming with gratitude that our program was able to conclude right before coronavirus really kicked off in America. Um, and so, you know, we were one of the fortunate programs that got to complete. Um, and so now I know they're up and running again and I'm thrilled to see it because I know that the people that are on the program now are going to have transformative experiences and just hopefully their eyes will be open that you can really work effectively from anywhere. And so you can have adventures on the weekend and still be productive during the week. So it was an incredible experience to say the least. Yeah. So um, can you enlighten people a little bit on what did you find was kind of the difference in traveling with remote year versus your normal travels, whether they be for work or uh, personal reasons? Yeah, good question. So, you know, there certainly are some differences. And I think, you know, you have to kind of decide for yourself what works for you. What I enjoyed about the remote year experience was I didn't have to think about the logistics of travel, right? So the company puts you up in an apartment, you get a co-working space, and then they plan side trips as well. And the unspoken benefit is the community that you build. Uh, so for those four reasons, I would say I really enjoyed the remote year experience. It's not the cheapest experience. It certainly is costed at a premium, but you're paying for the convenience of the logistics and the scheduling, et cetera. Um, and that way I could be focused on my work. I could be focused on building my business while they focus on the logistics. Um, in terms of traveling alone, which I do quite a bit as well, there's some beauty in that too, right? You know, there's some beauty in saying, hey, I want to take today off and just explore. There's beauty in not having to coordinate schedules with everybody or, you know, seeing or not seeing something based on what the group wants to see, right? So there's certainly beauty in solo travel. Um, I would definitely recommend finding community if you're going to do solo travel for an extended period of time. And so there's lots of communities out there. Remote years are a great one, but there's a Hackers in Paradise. There's plenty of other communities as well where you can plug in and meet other nomadic people who are exploring a place. Um, and so, yeah, I certainly, you know, people have asked me, do you prefer solo travel or group travel? And this is such a cop-out answer, but I don't have a preference. They both have pluses and minuses, and they're both incredible experiences. For me, the bottom line is just be willing to get out and to explore the world. Um, it certainly will change you, but then it makes you appreciate home more as well. So, yeah. Oh, I, I totally know what you what you mean there in terms of, you know, after I usually hit the, the wall at about the 10 day mark when it's just like, I want to be in my own bed. I want to be at my own home. I want to be able to use my own bathroom and you just want the, the, the comforts of home. Um, but from that point, being out and seeing how other people live, seeing how other cultures operate do help you appreciate um, those uh, comforts of home, especially um, for us Americans that are used to American efficiencies, American customer service. And when we experience, you know, things that are different in other cultures, it makes us appreciate it even more. That's right. And I appreciate American targets. That's what <laughs> Target and Chick-fil-A. Those are the things that I miss the most when I'm out of the country. But yeah. I think that's valid. I think that's fair. You know, it's kind of like the upper echelon of the retail and fast food experience for sure. Um, so Cynthia, you, uh, spent, you know, about a month or so in each location that you visited. Do you feel like that gave you a better, uh, more realistic, more honest view of how, uh, the locals lived in those locations? 
It definitely did, but I'd say that a month is just an appetizer to truly experiencing a place. So in my experience, you know, the first week is you're just settling in. You're trying to find the gym you're going to work out at. You're trying to find the coffee shop that you want to have your coffee in the morning at. You know, so you're just kind of laying the groundwork. Week two, you start to build the confidence to kind of explore a place and get out and talk to people. Week three, you found your jam. You're kind of in your groove. And then week four, you're kind of grieving that you have to leave in another week. So I'd say that Mm -hmm. while it's a great experience and it does force you to kind of understand how to grocery shop effectively, or, you know, there were times that we had to figure out how to mail packages, which in some countries can take some time, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I honestly feel like to really truly experience a culture, you need a little bit more than a month. I've had the privilege of staying some places a little bit more than a month. And I have to say, you know, those are the places where I really created lifelong friendships. You know, I have a lot of Italian friends that I still speak to, but I was there for six months. So of course Mm -hmm. I was gonna probably form deeper relationships there. Um, So yeah, I think a month is a good time as an appetizer to a culture, but certainly I would recommend a little bit longer than that if your intent is to really dive deep into a cultural experience. So sticking with the, the food theme, the food analogies. So if a month is an appetizer and you kind of had a six month, you had a six appetizer tray in front of you, what was your favorite uh, selection? on the menu. I mean, what vent, what location were you just like, I will definitely go back. I didn't have enough time. Um, and it just really, you know, had an impact on you. Yeah. You know, that's such a tough question because of each of the places we went to on remote year, they all have a unique special place in my heart, of course. Um, you know, and I like different places for different things. So for example, Lisbon, Portugal, as you know, Deanna, I absolutely love Lisbon. I would pack up my life and move there tomorrow if it made sense for me to do so. Uh, but you know, the place that has always captured my heart is Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, so when I went with remote year, that was my fourth time in Cape Town, believe it or not. So I already had some familiarity with the place. But every time I go to Cape Town, I feel like I discover something new about the culture, about the land, about things to do. Um, And this was no exception to that. This time, you know, I spent time in Robben Island, which is where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for many years. Um, The, you know, who would subsequently become the president of South Africa. Um, And, you know, it is just mind blowing to be toured around Robben Island with somebody who was imprisoned with Nelson Mandela. Um, And, you know, there's certainly a short amount of time for us to have those experiences because those people are getting a lot older now, you know, but that was a a moment that really stood out to me and really impacted me. And yeah, I would have to say that Cape Town by far is one of my favorite cities on earth. I mean, it's historical significance, it's topography, the mountains, but then you have the beautiful ocean, there's boating, there's climbing, there's just, there's wineries, there's just incredible things to do in Cape Town. So I'd say that that would be my main entree if I had to call it. Oh, very nice. (laughs) So for for our listeners and viewers who maybe have never uh, been to the continent of Africa, me included, excuse me, try and uh, put us in your shoes that first moment you walk off the plane or out of the airport, let's say, of Cape Town, South Africa, what's kind of the one thing that's going to hit you immediately? Is it a certain sight? Is it a certain smell? Is it a certain vibe from the people? What's kind of like your first impression or your most indelible impression of Cape Town, South Africa? 
good question. So I'm trying to transport myself to the moment that we landed and we gather all of our bags, of which I had the most, which is probably no surprise to you, Deanna. (laughs) (laughs) Just because Cynthia is a very well-versed traveler does not mean she has mastered the art of packing light. I'm terrible. (laughs) I am terrible with packing. (laughs) I can tell you what restaurants to go to, but I can't tell you how to pack. Um, But, you know, I'd say, you know, the people are incredibly inviting. I would describe it as inviting. It's very colorful. You immediately are just blown away by the mountains that you see when you depart from the airport and you know you see towns of impoverished people who have been affected by systemic oppression due to apartheid but then you also see tall buildings that are vast and luxury buildings where you know business owners reside and um, you know this great kind of chasm of wealth so the juxtaposition of them is quite interesting to say the least um, but as you kind of drive to your destination, the the roads are very windy, right? They're, you're going up and down hills. You're going in and out of lanes. Um, it's certainly a very kind of windy experience. But the anticipation of what Cape Town has to offer definitely overtakes your emotion as you're going into the city. And so as you get into Cape Town, again, it feels like a metropolitan city just with some African flair. So you'll see different... Uh, types of shops and things that you don't ordinarily see in a place like the United States. Um, it's just incredible. The food is very fresh, you know. Um, the music around is just very vibrant. Um, there are lots of different neighborhoods filled with lots of different people. Uh, the people of South Africa are still kind of normalizing with this life post-apartheid, um, which was not, it was 50 years ago, right? So it wasn't that long ago that they just abolished apartheid. And you can see that very, very handily in their culture in terms of, you know, who's who's in the restaurants. You see black and white people dining together, which is kind of a new normal for South Africa. Um, and so, yeah, it's an incredible, incredible place full of color, full of vibrancy, full of life, full of energy and full of peace at the same time. It's quite interesting that they have a balance of energy and peace in the same place. Oh, I like that a balance of energy and peace. I think that's a vibe that I can ascribe to for sure. Um, now tell me about, and this can be throughout your, your travels on remote year or any other travels that you've uh, encountered before, but think of a memorable person that you had an exchange with uh, when you were out traveling the world that you just will never forget. And it just really uh, made an impact upon you. Good question. So the first time I went to South Africa was probably 2005. So quite some time ago, I was in undergrad and um, I was going to study in Cape Town, but we stopped in Johannesburg and on the way over, we flew South African Airways and one of the flight attendants, um, his name was Ubuntu. Um, he said, you know, I want to tell you more about my country. So I sat with him in one of the jumper chairs on the plane and he described his experiences as a black South African man and, you know, what his experience now is like as a flight attendant and how he's able to support his family and uh, just his love for his land and his people was indelible. It was something that I will still to this day never forget. Um, And so we arrived to our hotel, we check in, and this man had sent me flowers and a bunch of lists of things to do while in Johannesburg, which for me really impacted me. And still to this day, I have no clue how he figured out how to send me specifically flowers with a list of things to do. But I think that that shows you the spirit of the people of South Africa, how they want people to come and really experience the land. So I, I know I could have chosen any 
specific experience, but that particular experience really impacted me and allowed me to have a much more local experience than what I think I would have had if I would have just had to, you know, kind of Google and discover things on my own, which now that I think about it, I'm not sure that there was Google back then. I remember, <laughs> I remember 2005 when I needed to call home, having to go to the corner shop and getting a calling card and, you know, I had to buy minutes to call home. So now that I think about it, I'm not sure that Google was a thing back then. But nonetheless, <laughs> I had an incredibly local experience due to this very generous man on my flight. Mm-hmm. Um, having traveled with you uh, domestically and internationally, I will say that you are a master at uh, befriending locals and not just befriending them, but um, always working a... Um, recommendation out of them, whether it's a, a site we need to see, some food we need to eat, places we need to go, people we need to meet. You definitely are a master at that. So um, well, where you, when Diana. are you going to have your master course available on teaching people how to engage with the locals during their travels? I love it. Well, again, I, I shared with you earlier and I I really live by the words live how the local live, how the locals live. Let me say that again, live how the locals live that is how you really experience a place. You know, nothing against mm-hmm. the red lobsters of the world, but if you're going to a new place and you're just having red lobster, you've not experienced what it's like to be a part of the culture, right? So I, I mm-hmm. highly believe that we should all live how locals live and support local. And that's how you truly get to know the fabric and the DNA of a place. So yeah, that's an interesting idea to do a masterclass. Thanks, Deanna. Maybe I'll do that someday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I we love to give business uh, uh, ideas or new products and services on this show. So happy to pass that along, Cynthia. Um, now, your work in consumer insights and qualitative research, um, do you feel it's, it's kind of like the chicken versus the egg, right? How much of your travel impacts your ability to have these conversations with consumers that sometimes it can be products that are on the more personal side? I know you've worked in healthcare um, with some, tri- you know, some uh, uh, medical trials and things of that nature. Um, but, or is it more so that your work in the consumer insights helps you relate to people in different experiences. Like what's the chicken versus the egg kind of philosophy between Mm -hmm. the two of those? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, Deanna. So, you know, here's the thing. We are all a collection of all of our experiences, right? If you've had 10 experiences, that is who you are as a person. You are a collection of those 10 experiences. If you've had 10 million experiences, that is who you are. You are a collection of those 10 million experiences. And having traveled and having experienced so many different cultures, it allows me to connect with a wide range of people on a much deeper level than what I probably would be able to if I've only had 10 experiences, right? Um, So an example of that is, you know, when I'm speaking to a person who is interested in brown spirits, as an example, um, and they talk about having been to a region and you know France as an example, and I have been to that region as well, I'm able to kind of tailor questions in a way that is relatable because they've mentioned they've been there. I've also been there or around there so I can kind of relate to them in a way uh, that allows me to have much more deeper impact and uh, get more deep insights into their life experience. So I'd have to say, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of 
relationships that help one another out. My my work as a researcher helps me be a better traveler. My travel and my experience and my curiosity about cultures helps me be a better researcher. So they kind of work in, can, in tandem if I had to describe it, Deanna. But yeah, I definitely think that it's all about collecting experiences. In general, I think that life is about collecting experiences. So the more experiences you have, the chances are greater that you can connect with people on a more deep level because it's likely that they may have had a similar experience. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. And and that kind of synopsis right there is why I wanted to have you on the show because I feel like your background is so varied. But I think the thing that the, the common thread between everything is your inquisitiveness, your curiosity, and that can be with people, places, or things, right? You want to dive deeper. You want to learn more. Um, so I think that's why it's perfect that you're in the field that you're in because it's research. So it's always about diving deep and digging beyond, you know, what's on the surface. Um, but it's also connecting with people. It's also kind of connecting the dots, right? Not just um, meeting someone, but like, hey, this conversation that I had with this person in Merida, Mexico, under the the umbrella of being here in Merida, Mexico, what's my takeaway on this place, correct? You know, so um, that's why I, I had you here because I just, I love the, the as you mentioned, the, the tandem of those two things and how they kind of work in cohesion um, and the yin and yang of that. I love it. And I was just gonna say on the curiosity point, I used to get in trouble for my curiosity growing up, you know, and it's that very curiosity that I now built a business on. And it, that very curiosity is helping brands make solid decisions for their consumers. So I'd like to encourage people to not only allow curiosity, but encourage it. You know that I'm very close to my little five-year-old nephew who now is at a stage where he asks a lot of questions. And oftentimes his question is very simple. It's why? And instead of being frustrated, we cultivate that in him. We let him ask why. We encourage him to ask why, because that's how he's mm -hmm. going to collect his own experiences. And that's how he's going to discover the world. So while curiosity was something that I was grounded for a lot as a child, <laughs> <laughs> it is the very thing that I hope to leave as a legacy is just the spirit of curiosity in this world. Ooh, I love that. Leaving a legacy of the spirit of curiosity. Um, it makes me think of, I, I remember seeing this clip on Instagram or Facebook of Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he's kind of a renowned scientist and philosopher. And he talked kind of about what you just mentioned. Parents need to let children get messy, get dirty, make mistakes, because that is going to breed that curiosity that's going to breed that inquisitiveness um, and let it grow and so many times you know i'm guilty of it as well with my kids um we don't want to answer questions we don't want to deal with messes so we um unknowingly kind of put out the the light or we dim their light or we put out their fire of their inquisitive nature um so i appreciate that you are cultivating that in um, Isaiah, little Teddy, as I like to call him, uh, because, you know, those, th there are future. So having those future scientists, future mathematicians, future leaders, future politicians, you want them to be people that are knowledge seekers and not someone who just kind of takes what is given to them, if you will. Love it. <laughs> um, so Cynthia, more. we... We are almost at the close today. It's been a great conversation, but um, I like asking this of all of my guests. So I'm going to put you on the spot, um, but uh, I've done it to the other guests as well. <laughs> but if you had to pick a song to convey your experience in Cape Town, South Africa, whether it was your first or your second visit, what would that song be and why? 
Hmm. That's a very, <laughs> that's a very good question. The first song that comes to mind is Don't Mind by Kent Jones. You know, the song that goes, you're telling me this, you're telling me that, because he talks about lots of different places. For some reason, that's coming to mind. I have no clue why. Ask me again. <laughs> and I just come up with a better <laughs> song, but that's what's coming to mind. <laughs> no, I love, I think it's, it's a great opportunity to also introduce listeners to music maybe they've never heard of or they uh, uh, haven't listened to before. So um, Obscure is also uh, an awesome uh, option as well. So I appreciate I that. Well, Cynthia, this has been a great conversation. I'm so happy that you um, said yes when I asked you to be on the show because I knew you had some great insights to give people. Um, but before we go, let my listeners know where they can find you uh, on the interwebs. Oh, okay. Well, this has been wonderful. Thanks again for inviting me, Deanna. Um, I adore you and I'm so excited to hear all your other guests as well on your podcast. Um, but to find me, you can find me at the828firm.com. That's T-H-E-828-F-I-R-M.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, just at Cynthia Harris, and you should see me in a white blazer. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, friend. And uh, where's, where's the next trip? Where's the next place we're headed? Well, I'm currently in Cincinnati, Ohio, which I used to live in Cincinnati when I worked for Procter & Gamble. So it's fun to be here. But beyond Cincinnati, you know, I don't really have anything planned. Perhaps I'll go back to Mexico. I have been thinking about going back to Mexico. But before that, I might go to New York. You know what, Deanna? I do have a trip planned. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it. You I'm always do. That's why I figured. I, <laughs> I know. I don't know why I'm acting like I have nothing planned. I'm going to Savannah, Georgia. I'm taking my mom to Savannah, Georgia. We're flying first class. We're going to stay at a very nice hotel. So as Deanna mentioned earlier, I do like to travel in luxury. And now I'm at a place in life where I can now bring my mom along on that luxury. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, well, maybe we'll have to have you back and have a conversation on intergenerational travel and that experience. Okay. So <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> well, thanks, Cynthia. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thanks for being on the show. Of course. Thanks, Deanna.